So Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Thanks very much, Joe. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Let me pray and ask for God's help as we look at this together. Heavenly Father, just as we've, we've sung, we pray that you would help us to turn our eyes to Jesus now. We pray that the things of this earth would, go, would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So please, Lord, would you speak to us through your word. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've got your nativity scene um, up and ready in your house. Um, we've got a knitted one at, at, at our place. And um, it seems that very often the nativity scenes that we have up are, are very peaceful, serene. Sometimes paintings and things of nice kind of halos. Everything's very just still and the cattle are lowing. It's, it's just a beautiful, serene scene. And that's actually pretty far removed from the nitty-gritty of of our day-to-day lives. Um, And actually it's pretty far removed from the nitty-gritty of the reality of those involved in that first Christmas. The nativity set that we had as a kid actually um, did have a bit of edge to it. But that was because the dog got hold of Jesus and one of the shepherds and uh, he had a bit of a mauling. Maybe the dog was making an astute theological point in, in, anyway but you get the point often our nativity scenes portray this beautiful, serene, picturesque peaceful situation but the reality in that first Christmas and perhaps even in our Christmas is that it's anything but peaceful and serene in our day-to-day lives for Matthew writing his gospel this Christmas story begins in the context of shattered dreams and emotional trauma and and a sex scandal we've got this young couple engaged and in those days uh, it, a betrothal as it's called was was legally binding they had their whole lives ahead of them Mary would probably have been just a teenager Joseph may be in his 20s. It's difficult to, to know exactly. 
But then wham, Joseph discovers that Mary's expecting a child and it's not his. His heart sinks. It it hits him like a ton of bricks. The, The shock, the anger, the confusion, the betrayal. What does he do now? You can imagine what, how Joseph must, must have felt. Particularly in a, in a culture of, of shame and honour. The suspicion that there would have been. What would his family have, have made of it all? What would his family think of, of him? For the rest of his life, in, in his business as a, as a carpenter. A checker trade logo on his website is not going to do away with the suspicions and whisperings of people not wanting to do business with someone so untrustworthy. The obvious way out for Joseph was for him to publicly disgrace her and distance him, himself from the, whole, from the whole thing. Maybe if he does it loud enough and strong enough, he could save face and honour for himself. But this young man, He didn't choose that obvious way out. Now public disgrace for Mary could have meant being stoned to death for adultery. But even if it didn't come to that, a life of public disgrace would have been unimaginably horrific to endure if execution wasn't what the the Jewish leaders would have called for. But Joseph took an incredibly gracious option Instead, have a look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. It's amazing, isn't it? Especially as as we know what he didn't know at this stage. He's had no angelic visitations explaining things to him just yet. But just in these first few verses of Matthew's gospel in, this, in, in chapter 1, we get this wonderful portrayal of this young man's character. On the one hand, he wants to be faithful to the Lord. He wants to be righteous. He, he wants to please God and, and put him first. And on the other hand, he is full of compassion and mercy for the woman that he loves, Mary. And so he decides to divorce her quietly. So that would mean that the cloud of suspicion would linger for him. But he's more concerned about the best interests of Mary. And so he shows this selfless love. Actually, there's there's lots we can unpack about Joseph. We'll come back to him at the end. But notice in the midst of all his agonising over this, uh, in verse 20, it says he was considering this. It's actually a lot stronger than that. There's, there's real turmoil for Joseph as he's wrestling with, with all that's going on. Somehow, he, you can imagine him tossing and turning in his bed, but he sleeps. He does get to sleep. And God speaks to him. He gets this angelic visitation explaining everything so verse 20 after he'd considered this an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream and said joseph son of david do not be afraid to take mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the holy spirit 
don't fear. This is no ordinary baby, the angel says. And actually, in in the verses that we've read, Matthew goes to great pains to underline the fact that this baby is supernaturally conceived by God and that Joseph has had nothing to do with it. In fact, even the, the, the sheer fact that Joseph wants to divorce her is evidence that he's 100% convinced that it's not his. But look how Matthew spells out that this baby is no ordinary baby. So in verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So notice that the negative is not to do with human initiative before they came together and the proactive, it is the initiative of God. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And then on in, in verse 20, as the angel speaks to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Repeating again, as Matthew is, this is another proactive, this is from God. This is a work of God. This is a supernatural work of God. And then finally, to underline it again in verse 25, another negative spelling out that this is not due to Joseph. Verse 25, he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. So after that long family tree of ordinary births that we have at the start of chapter 1, that pattern is is broken with a completely out of the ordinary supernatural birth. And there's no getting away from, from that fact. Scholars and academics and even bishops have tried to, to get away from that over the centuries. But you cannot twist Matthew's words here to get away from the fact that he is showing us that this birth is miraculous and supernatural. This birth is conceived from the Holy Spirit. Now I've no idea how that works. (laughs) There's mystery here, there's no denying that. But divine conception is what Matthew wants to spell out for us. That this baby is, is somehow fully God and fully man. Not kind of 50-50, half-half. It's fully God, fully man in, in one person. And that's, a, that's, that's one part of his big thrust in these verses. To show his readers that this is no ordinary baby. The other thing that he wants his readers to see is who this baby is. And so he he spells out the two names, two names of this baby, Jesus and Emmanuel. And that's what we'll focus the rest of our time on, unpacking these two names. So firstly, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is um, the name he was told to, to give um, this, this baby, the Hebrew form of Jesus is, is Joshua or Yeshua in Aramaic, um, however you want to say it. Um, 
It, it, it simply means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. Joshua, Jesus, actually was a pretty common name at the time. There would have been lots of little Jesuses running around at the time. And Matthew doesn't tie any specific significance to famous Joshuas in the Old Testament. There's a couple he, he, he could have mentioned. Joshua, who took over from Moses to lead the people into the promised land, for example. But Matthew doesn't make those links. Instead, he links to a specific phrase, a specific promise from Psalm 130. Psalm 130, verse 8 says this, he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Now at the time there would have been plenty of people who were waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, God's promised rescuer king. But at the time those waiting we're perhaps waiting for a political Messiah, someone who would come along and kind of boot out the Romans, redeem God's people from the tyranny of Rome. But that's just not what's in view here at all. Right at the start of, of Matthew's gospel, as he sets out the genesis, the, the origins, the beginnings of Jesus Christ, Matthew is, is setting out his themes that he's going to develop throughout his gospel. And right here at the start, he's saying that this baby, Jesus Christ, is, is no mere political revolutionary. That's far too small a thing. Instead, he draws on, on a promise from long ago, from Psalm 130, where God says he himself will redeem his people from their sins. And last week, as we looked at that great list of names in the family tree, we, we saw on the one hand the great promises that God made to, to Abraham and to David. And we saw God's faithfulness to his people through the generations. But on the other hand, we saw the faithlessness of his people, their failure, their sin. And the brokenness and, and mess that, that resulted. But now, here is Jesus. Here is the one who's going to uh, rescue, redeem his people from their sin. So at the start of, of his gospel, Matthew's saying this is not good advice about how to live a nice, moral, upright, fulfilling life. This is good news about what God himself has done for us, coming in person among us to, to rescue us from sin. And I want to chew over this for a minute because it's, it's so massively important. Our tendency is, is not to make too big a deal over sin. Perhaps it's a word that we're slightly embarrassed about. Maybe it's a, an idea that we just don't want to take seriously at all maybe we think well can't God just sort of ignore it wash over it sweep it under the carpet forget about it what's the big deal well the incarnation God himself coming to, to rescue 
shows us just how seriously God takes sin, doesn't it? It's important enough for God himself to rend the heavens and and come down, to, to humble himself and become one of us, to go to those extraordinary lengths to deal with our sin. That's how seriously God takes sin. As we read through the Bible, we see that, that sin inescapably infects every one of us. It scars every aspect of, of the cosmos. We are born in sin, in a world of sin. A world marred and broken by sin, by rebellion and rejection of God. Good education can't save us. Good government can't save us. We can't help one another and we certainly cannot help ourselves. That's our story. That's the story of the Bible for for God's people too. What hope do we have? What hope did they have in the Bible? Well, the only hope, the, the hope that echoed down through the centuries of the Bible story is divine intervention. They needed, we need a saviour who will step in and rescue us. And actually, as you read through the Bible story, we, we see that the only suitable saviour, the only saviour who has the power and, and the righteousness to actually save us is God himself. And so God himself came to rescue. The rejected one gave his life for those who rejected him. The rebelled against gave his life to save the rebels. So Matthew 1, 21, the angel says to Joseph, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He's Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The second name that Matthew draws our attention to is the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew moves on to give the readers, us as readers, a a bit of theological commentary. Let's have a look at verses 22 and 23 with me. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And in Isaiah 7, 14, um, Ahaz is king of God's people. God's people are surrounded and in deep trouble. And if you read through the story, Ahaz is totally faithless and, and secular. In his heart, he is turned away from God long ago. And Isaiah prophesies about a virgin giving birth to a special child with a special name as a sign to, to faithless Ahaz that, he, that God himself will keep his promises to his people. That God is not out of touch with his people. Actually, he doesn't need Ahaz. He can miraculously bring about his purposes. 
for his people. He is faithful when Ahaz is faithless. So it's fascinating that Matthew brings out this verse and and not just this verse in isolation, but that whole chunk of 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 history in, in, in the Bible. This promise had a fulfillment in Ahaz's day as a sign to him of his faithlessness. But this promise, this prophecy, this promise has a much greater and bigger and broader and, and fuller fulfillment than just that partial fulfillment in Ahaz's day. Because in that same chunk of Isaiah, in chapter 9 and verse 6, we read about a child. A child who will be born and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Matthew picks up that prophecy from from that chunk in Isaiah and says Mary here is is truly bearing this miracle child who has a significance infinitely greater than the child of a prophetess in Isaiah chapter 8. This child is Emmanuel, God with us. C.S. Lewis called the incarnation, God with us, the central miracle of Christianity. And he's right, isn't it? Perhaps we don't think about it enough. The wonder of the incarnation, of God becoming one of us. But the reality is that redemption, restoration, recreation, reconciliation, all of those amazing R words all depend entirely on the fact that in Christ, God became man, fully God and fully man, that he became one of us so that we could be united to him by the Spirit and and share the life that he has with the Father. Salvation, being rescued from sin, is not just some kind of insurance policy from when we die. It is much more glorious than that. Emmanuel, God with us. He stoops down low to to bring us up, to share the life that he has with the Father. He comes to us. He is for us. Now, I don't know if uh, this week you've been tracking the anger towards Boris Johnson and the government about Christmas parties. It's been hard to escape, hasn't it, really, this, um, this past week. But there's been a real depth of anger towards them and all that's gone on. And I wonder if, if, if partly it comes from a place of, of them seeming to be so out of touch with us. There's one rule for them and another for, for everyone else. They're, they're somehow detached from, from us ordinary plebs, working hard, getting by, abiding by the rules. Well, Emmanuel, Matthew chapter 1, we, we see God is not out of touch with us. He rolls up his sleeves and gets stuck in. He, he's one of us. He's not a cold, indifferent, distant God who's just wound up this world like a clock and just kind of left it on a shelf to it. He is intimately involved. He's, he's God with us. 
He knows what it means to be physically human. He didn't just get a a brief taste of it. He didn't beam down as a 30-year-old to start his ministry. He was a fetus in a womb. He was a baby. He would have stumbled around trying to work out how to walk. He would have gone through puberty. He was a 30-year-old male. He, He experienced the fullness of what it means to be human. So he knows the, the struggles and the temptations and the pain and the sorrows and the joys that we all go through. He is truly able to, to sympathise with us, the writer of the Hebrews tells us. He's not out of touch. He's God with us. He's for us. He left the glory of, of heaven for you, for me. He entered our helplessness and and lostness. He he came to us. He took the initiative. He, He became one of us so that he might save us from our sin. Listen to how the Apostle Paul in in Philippians chapter 2 describes the incarnation, Jesus coming, being born. as a human he says this in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross he didn't come to to red carpets and and palaces he came into obscurity and poverty the the nitty gritty reality of of normal everyday life he entered in he he came down he's God with us at the end of chapter 2 we read that he became a, a Nazarene from Nazareth Nazareth was a nowhere place. It's a pit stop on the way to more important places. But Jesus was known as a Nazarene. He became one of us, truly one of us. He humbled himself. He came into our mess to rescue us from our sin. Christianity is is not about us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps to try and make ourselves worthy to God. It's about him stooping down to us, becoming one of us, to rescue us, to lift us up. In, uh, in Luke chapter 15, we get these famous stories that Jesus tells to give us a glimpse of, of God's father heart. In, in Luke 15, we're the lost sheep, lost, helpless, and he's the shepherd who, who hoists us up onto his shoulders to carry us home. Jesus, who 
saves us from our sin, rescues us from our sin. Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. What's our response going to be to him? Well, let's come back to Joseph. We've seen already that he showed kindness to Mary when he thought she'd been unfaithful to him. Well, we see he's obedient to God, even when the future was so uncertain. He's a great example of, of faith and, and trust in God, isn't he? He's entrusting himself and his family's future to God. He's, he's trusting that God has power to do what he'd promised. His future was full of uncertainty. No doubt they would have been full of rejection and suspicion because of the scandal surrounding their marriage and Jesus' birth. But this child was Jesus, the one who would save his people from their sin. This child was Emmanuel, God with us. So let's follow Joseph's example and put our trust in him. Let's pray. Some words from um, Hark the Herald to kind of focus our, our prayers. This great hymn just beautifully sums up the things that we've been thinking about. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Heavenly Father, we want to, to worship you this morning for giving us your son. We want to thank you for, for our Emmanuel, that, that you rolled up your sleeves to, to get stuck in. You stooped down low to where we are in our mess, in our sinfulness, to rescue us from our sin. What good news that is, Father, and we pray that you would help us to respond the way Joseph did, with obedience and, and faith and, and trust in you. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.